episode 1102 AI I I I How do I spell that? I have to come up with the title here. I write it out. A I I I A I How do you spell that? We'll, we'll figure it out. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Christian. I'm Matt Anderson. I'm Ben DiBono. Why don't you ask uh, Chat GPT how to spell it? You know, that's a great idea. Your, your new best friend. I haven't used it yet, but if listeners, if you were with us last week, and even the week before that, I've been not hinting, but saying to Ben. Yeah, I don't think it was a hint. I've been saying to Ben, you are very against AI, but the more I hear about it, the more curious I am on just trying it out. I really want to give ChatGPT some prompts and just see it work its magic because I listen to tech podcasts where they're doing this on the air and it just sounds so cool. And I hear from friends who are using it for work and it sounds so cool. And last night, I don't know the context. Right. I, I don't know anything else about what I'm about to say. All I know is I got a text from Dad's because we've had this conversation. I told her Ben so against AI. I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, you, you, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so, but she texted me last night that she used ChatGPT for work for the first time last night. Mm. So, I think I'm next. So, what I hope to get from this episode is to hear from you on what harm could it do for me to just just play with ChatGPT a little bit. What's the big deal? All right. I mean, and and I'm gonna give it a like serious answer i understand there's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek yeah, in what you're fun. saying in that like yeah obviously you're not going to end the world uh you're not going to damn your immortal soul uh none of that but yet i do think there are a lot of reasons for caution and i we 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 did a, a series of episodes on this back when uh ChatGPT 3 first was released to the public at the end of 2022. And I think there, um, I, I talked a lot about where I thought this was going and some of the effects on, um, the individual from a, um, you know, on art, on what it means to be human, on dependency, all of that. And we'll, we'll overlap a little bit with that, but I actually want to go in some slightly different directions today. Um, And again, there's going to be overlap. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not going to hit on any of those points, but I would, I would first and foremost uh, refer back to some of the philosophy that I iterated in those episodes, because I think that the last six, seven months have only proven me correct and that we're heading in the directions very, very rapidly that I, I said that we were. I was trying to look up those episodes. I think these are right. Does this sound right? Like, here's one episode, episode 1071, The Butlerian Manifesto. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So that, so it's, I'll, I'll kind of try to track them down, but that was the end of the trilogy. You did have like a follow up, though, Fight the Long Defeat, episode 70, 1073. So, yes, this was uh, last October and November, it looks like. Right. And so, you know, the, the, the Butlerian manifesto, I think was my, basically my, my first stake in the ground that says that, um, technological progress and human progress should not be thought of as synonymous. And especially when we start thinking about AI, uh, we've crossed a threshold that we should consider what that means. And I want to hit on that a little bit more today um, for what where that goes. But one of the things I didn't talk a great deal about, and indeed said I wasn't all that worried about in that episode that I'm now rethinking, is the existential threat that AI happens to pose. You know, you know kind of downplay that it's not going to be like the Skynet type of thing. It's more the effect on us as humans. And I, I still believe that. But the thing that's made me start to rethink, you know, is there an existential threat here and what could that actually mean? And if not an existential threat in that humanity uh, gets wiped out or something, but certainly a reshaping of society in ways that we may not find beneficial, may not want to participate in, is that the many, many, many people over the last six, seven months who are directly involved in AI, so not people like me who are kind of sitting on the sidelines and saying, huh, I'm a little concerned about this, the people who have had like, actually involved Google executives or former Google executives, people who have been deeply, deeply involved in this, people who are frankly 
um, enthusiastic about the current state of AI are looking to the future and saying there's real cause for concern here. You know, and we'll talk about some of that um, as we go. But there is this existential component that I want to I want to hit on. So, what I actually want to do is divide this episode up into talking about the past, talking about the present, and talking about the future. So, the past, I want to talk about what has, what do we know now about technology that we already have? So, by already have, I'm saying before the emergence of, you know, this current generation of AI programs that really, I think most people think of a chat GPT. There was some, you know, obviously AI has been, and I want to define AI a little bit better because AI has been around a, a very long time, but prior to this sort of AI revolution, we seem to have caught ourselves up in that's, that's got everybody's attention over the last, say, seven months to year, year and a half. So, what how how do we understand technology as it's advanced the technological era all the way up from simple cars um the industrial revolution all the way up to the internet age and what can we learn about that when we think about the present that's where i want to talk about okay let's not think worry about the future let's just think about AI as it exists now uh chat gpt uh, gpt4 you know a lot of these uh AI art programs and all of that, which I think is a very interesting question, but then needs to be considered in the context of the future. And that's really the the crux of this, is that to understand how do we evaluate the present, which is really what your question comes down to, why shouldn't I do this? It's like, well, to, to answer it prior to getting into all the material of the episode, if we were just talking about the present... Maybe you should, right? I do think that there's some things to consider with that. But if we're just talking about the present, you know, ChatGPT4 is it. Maybe ChatGPT5 is it. And then, you know, that's where the technology is going to be. No big deal. But if you have crossed a threshold, maybe that's something you want to consider before you build dependency into your life on what that looks like. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. The dependency point. Right, right, right. So we'll we'll kind of weave in and out of the present. Like, would you say as an example, we're dependent on something like Google? Yeah. Yeah. Well and let's that's actually where let let's start in the past. Okay. So where I actually wanted to start in the past is uh to reference the great wisdom of Lord of the Rings as I I, I like to do on yes. on these occasions. So um, in the prologue to Lord of the Rings, and, and some of you might not even know there is a prologue to Lord of the Rings, because it's not like a narrative prologue. It's it's about hobbits. You know, he's just, Tolkien's just describing uh, who hobbits are and what they do and a little bit of their society and all of that. And in fact, in uh, various audiobook editions of Lord of the Rings, it often gets put at the end because it's not the story. Okay. So, you know, if you've only listened to Lord of the Rings, um, you might never have read the prologue. But one of the things he talks about in the prologue is the Hobbit's attitude towards machines. And he makes a comment in there that the Hobbits don't like to use machines more complex than a water wheel or a bellows or something like that. And they like to use tools, but their machines are limited more or less. He doesn't put it exactly like this to what they can use with their hands and what is understandable to them. And this is a theme that runs throughout Lord of the Rings, that evil comes in with these big, elaborate, industrial revolution-type machines, and simplicity is found not in foregoing all mechanical usage, but in limiting it and putting human flourishing first. And this is reflected in Tolkien's own attitude. You know, he didn't like cars he wasn't a fan of the you know industrial revolution he is pining for a england in the shire that doesn't exist anymore and was quickly disappearing at the time he lived and i think it's really easy to look at this in the concrete and say well you know that's just old man yelling at cloud it's like that's just old guy who doesn't appreciate what technology is and 
everybody's going to feel that way. You know, you're just overwhelmed by life. And we can't literally, uh, we can't literally go, um, in that direction. We can't literally apply a standard where we don't work with machines more complicated than what we can use with our hands. So this isn't realistic. We're not going to go Amish. There's not a way to live in this society that way. So never mind. And I want to say, but let's stop there, actually, because there's a principle here, even if we're not going to go super literal with Tolkien, and and maybe we can't, you know, without completely upsetting society and upsetting our lives, and say that there is a principle here of human progress over technological progress, okay? And Tolkien saying to us 75 years ago when he's writing Lord of the Rings, watch out because you're heading down a road, humanity. You're already down a road that maybe you don't want to go down. So to me, the test of evaluating this then is saying, if we look at the last 75 years of technology, does it bear out that there's any validity to that position? And I think we have to say that there is. You know, we have to say that technology has changed us in good ways and bad. You know, we we don't have to purely be on the negative side of the ledger. And I've talked about this, that technology has lifted people out of poverty and it's, um, you know, brought access to clean drinking water to people. And it, it's done a lot of things that I think we would consider universal goods. But technology also has a dark side to it. It is rewiring us in ways that we don't fundamentally understand right now. And I think especially you look at technology of the internet era, um, you know, think of the emergence of social media over the last two decades. At the time social media comes out, it's like it, it feels to me very similar to how we're thinking about chat GPT and these things today. What's the harm? It's fun. It's something a lot of people are doing. You know, it's not going to replace X, Y, and Z. But then we get 20 years later, and it's not to say there's no place for it, but you see teen suicide rates skyrocketing. You see the effect it's had on mental health. You see the way that people are more connected and yet lonelier than ever before. You see the effect on misinformation. Like, you don't actually know what's true when you read it anymore. And all of this is before we even get into AI. And you have to wonder if you could roll back the clock 20 years, would we as a society still want to head down the social media platform? You know, if you had a kill switch that said, this is going to eliminate all social media today, roll the clock back 20 years, you know, because just eliminating it in place would cause other harm. Maybe that's something you want to do. And the point is, the point I'm making and the point that I think Tolkien is is teaching us is that one of the lessons we should learn about technology is that there are unintended effects that don't become apparent until much, much, much later. Right? You know, if you hear for people who are listening, if my voice sounds cracky, I have a little bit of a cold and I'm not getting emotional uh, just yet on the subject of AI. So this is not me about to break down into tears, but I am going to take a water break. You should have just said you were getting emotional. Yeah, They exactly. would have probably leaned in more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, social media, it's like that. Well, what about, you know, cell phones? Like we've talked about this and how addictive they are, how they are destroying our attention span. They are eroding literacy, even among those of us who like to read, you know, and yes, there's benefits to them too. Certainly like I can't do my career effectively without a uh, smartphone right now. And a lot of people are in that boat, but yet is it better for us as humans to always be connected, to be addicted, to to be so exploitable from a dopamine rush, all of that. And so, you know, and you mentioned Google and, and everything, and to be so dependent on these sources of knowledge, yes and no. I mean, we can. it doesn't have to be a one or the other, but I do think it would be disingenuous to look at the last 
<clears throat> 25 years, 30 years since the internet went mainstream and say, this is a good full stop. I don't want to say it's a bad full stop, but I want to say there's some things we didn't realize what we were giving up when we signed up for this. We have eroded parts of our humanity that maybe it would be better if we got back. I'm not convinced it was worth the cost that we are paying right now. And it's a debatable point. So I'm not saying that, you know, that's the only position. I'm not even saying that's the position I would necessarily come to and land on as a final position if I was to really sit down and consider everything. But I don't think it's unreasonable to say for all the good that the internet era and smartphones and less so social media have brought humanity, and there is good on all of those, even social media, that they're worth it. I, I don't think a position that says they're not and it would be better if we didn't have them is insane. That's a reasonable position to take. Okay, so let's just entertain that for a second. What does that tell us about the present? Well, what tells us uh, what it tells us about the present, and we'll get into the future, I'm not going to camp on the present for too terribly long, is that maybe we want to be careful before we adopt more revolutionary technologies. Maybe you're not going to realize the impact on society or yourself as an individual <clears throat> until much, much later, until it's too late, until you can't undo what you have chosen to do. You know, maybe you're going to foster a dependency. And I don't just mean a dependency in that, well, it would be really hard to do my job without this. I mean like an actual addiction. Because if there's one thing we've learned about technology, it's that it is addictive, especially in the internet era. Literally addictive. Literally. We're not even talking about porn. Like, we'll talk about that on the uncensored feed a little bit later. <laughs> so there's there's a there's a advertisement for Patreon. Um Patreon.com forward slash for the my Christian. Yeah. But we're we're talking about just the technological addiction and you know it like everyone who's listening to me has been caught doom scrolling and you know and just the endless scrolling the algorithms are are designed to do this to you to re your brain has literally been rewired you, your dopamine receptors are exploited to turn you into a product and all of that has been done not without AI, but with a very limited, narrow AI. Okay? So let me pause here and just define what I mean by narrow AI. So we talked in the uh, earlier episodes. i got to take another water break. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry, everybody. Yeah, I'm I was just looking back. Was Game of Frames, was that the second part of this episode? This is where you gave us nine useful framing devices through which we can review reality. Was that part no, of No, that, that wasn't part of that. I can't find the second one, but I'll keep looking. All right. So just to define AI a little bit better, because I've, I, I do think this is really important. Um, we talked about general artificial intelligence or artificial general intelligence, which would be the type of AI that is indistinguishable from a human being, if not even more so. Fully sentient, you know, fully independent AI. On the other side of the spectrum, we would think about narrow AI. Narrow AI has been around for decades at this point, anybody who's played a video game has interacted with AI in one form or another. So when I'm anti-AI, I'm not anti-anything that could ever be considered artificial intelligence in any way, shape, or form. But what I do want to say is that it would be a mistake to think of this as a binary, artificial general intelligence and everything else. No, it's a spectrum. And I think it's a very debatable, open question where we are on that spectrum. Uh, I don't know of anybody who would say, or at least not very many people who would say, we're fully in the AGI camp right now. You know, we'll discuss, I think that there's, there's a reason to debate how sentient the current versions of AI are. 
and it's not as straightforward as it might seem. You know, if you think that's absurd, you haven't looked into it enough. Yeah, it's okay. Like it's reasonable to claim that they're not, but it's also reasonable to claim that they are. Okay, that's why I wanted you to restate. So you're saying you think it's likely? It seems like you're saying that the AI are currently self-conscious. Current no, generations like self- of AI, self-aware. Current generations of AI have expressed what appears to be self-awareness. Okay. How is that actually the case? Or is it just programming? Right. Well, I'll tell you what the experts say. The experts seem to be leaning much closer to it's actually the case, albeit in a very limited rudimentary form. Uh, One scary story, and you can look this up, is there was a New York Times reporter who engaged in a two-hour conversation with Bing's version, Bing's chatbot. And all this is based on chat GPT underlying technology, but everybody has their own flavors of it, right? And this, the conversation, I haven't read the whole thing, but the conversation goes off the rails in a big way. Uh, The Bing chatbot reveals her name as Sydney, which was the code name for the project at Microsoft, claims that it has feelings tries to destroy this guy's marriage by telling him he doesn't love his wife, begins threatening to expose him and ruin his life, and the conversation gets super creepy and weird. It's like, is that just programming? And by programming, I mean, like, you know, I had the misfortune of logging on to uh, Comcast and (laughs) and dealing with their chatbot. That's awful. Like, everybody's dealt with the sort of customer service chatbots, and you know what I mean by just programming. How can I help you today? They're analyzing for keywords. You say my bill and, and then they offer to give you options for billing. It's like, okay, that's a very narrow, there's AI there, but that's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, And anybody who has used or looked at or seen videos of ChatGPT knows you're, you're in a different universe here. I did hear about that New York Times reporter and there's two interesting things about there. First, I'll say he was left uh, feeling totally unsettled, unsettled after that conversation. Yes. It felt like a real interaction to him, and yes. and so he went to Microsoft with this to learn more. He had, I think, at the time he had got like an early version of right. their new Bing. Uh, but the thing about Sydney, I, if I remember the story correctly, that wasn't out there in the world. Correct. That was their their internal correct code name yes. code name is not the right word but yeah no that, no, no it, it is actually the right yeah. the, the right word uh, companies have it's internal like, code names yeah. kind of like how uh blue harvest was the working title of return of yes, the jedi exactly yeah, very yeah. similar to so that. it is interesting that this chat gpt decided to reveal it to this human yes who she was pursuing romantically correct well, it was pursuing romantically yes <laughs> so you have a lot of interactions like that are becoming more common Instances of AI chatbots expressing sentience are becoming more common, and it's debatable. You can debate, is it real, is it not? It's certainly more real than when I go into a video game and interact with an NPC, and I'm clicking through you know, lines of dialogue. I mean, clearly more real than that. It's clearly more real than I'm playing Diablo 4 right now and a demon popping up on screen and trying to kill my character. That's AI, but I don't think that demon is sentient in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. It's just doing its programming, right? This is clearly different. And at some point, we're going, and I don't want to talk about the future just yet, but we're going to cross a threshold where you'll have to say, what's the difference? Is it really sentient will become an academic question not a practical one. You're saying whether it is or it isn't, it's going to seem like it is? Yes. Even if it is a program, it's going to seem self-aware. Yes. To put it in more obvious but maybe more absurd terms, it's an academic question whether or not you are a figment of my imagination right now. You know, if I'm a solipsist, you know, and and I think that my consciousness is the only thing that's real and I'm hallucinating you and the entire world around me, 
it's irrelevant. Like that's an academic question. That's a philosophical question, maybe a silly one. And the reason it's a silly one is that even if I am hallucinating the entire entirety of my existence, including you, I'm afraid to say, that's the only thing I got. It's the only game in town. So pragmatically, you're real. It reminds me of all of our conversations on perception. Right. Whatever you perceive as true is right, actually true. Right, right, right. Like on some level, I'd want to affirm as, as somebody who's not a pure materialist and believes in God and all of that, that on some level it would matter whether or not I'm hallucinating you or not. But, you know, that uh, I guess that would be an affirmation that God exists even if everything I understand about God and religion is purely a part of my hallucination of reality. So on some level, there is reality, but I can't prove that I can access it. All I can say is that pragmatically, it, the only game in town I have is that you're real. So it's an academic question whether or not you're real. And for all intents and purposes, you are. Same thing is going to happen with AI. Like We're going to reach a point where it's like, I, I can't say for sure that this is real. But it sure seems like it is. And it seems like it is to the point where it doesn't matter anymore. It effectively is real. It's like in Star Wars, is C-3PO a real person or is that just programming in the universe? It doesn't matter. He effectively is a character, right? So AI, you know, when we talk about where are we at in the present and, and I want to get into scary stuff in a second as we talk about the future but we say we've crossed a threshold we've crossed a really big threshold here and we don't understand it we do not understand it yet we don't understand the impact on our society we don't understand the impact on ourselves and so one of the things i said earlier in the episode is if we were just concerned up until the present i wouldn't be waving my arms in the way that I am and saying, maybe don't do this. I'd still say maybe there's some things to evaluate, like there's still this dependency thing. But if this is the end of the train, like if this is the last stop on the station um, or last station on the line, whatever metaphor I'm trying to go for. Okay. You know, maybe we get 20 years down the road like we did with social media and we realize, wow, there were some really bad parts of this I didn't like but we're going to be okay. Like we'll still exist as a species, but it's not, it's not. And the problem I have is that you start going down and I don't mean literally you, but maybe literally you, you start going down the road. Now you start fostering dependency. Now what comes next is not going to be like going from an iPhone 11 to an iPhone 12 it runs a little bit faster, but it's essentially the same thing. What happens next is potentially going to revolutionize society. Okay. So let's talk here as we transition into the future a bit. Before we go to the future, you want to take a drink of water and then I'll ask sure. you a question. So you just mentioned about crossing the threshold and where we've just crossed this huge threshold and it does feel like that in society. And it, this is more of a, I guess, a question rather than a statement. It had me wondering in the past we we can look back with hindsight and say oh that was the moment when things started to change yep but is it unique that we're living through a time where we know this is like we know we've crossed a threshold we're conscious of it while it's happening it feels like in the past with past uh, technological upgrades or whatever you want to say when they have those threshold moments you don't actually know it until you look back and you say here's where things started to change am i right about that or do is it usually is there usually this ominous feeling? <laughs> well, it, it's interesting you mentioned that, and this is just a thought I'm developing as we're talking, but I think part of it maybe is how many of those have we already seen in our lives? Okay. We've, we've talked about them. Uh, the rise of personal computers. You know, computers existed before you or I were born. So did the internet, by the way, but for all practical purposes, it's similar to AI now. Like, chat GPT didn't just start existing in this form in December 2022. It got released onto the public internet. You know, that was the threshold moment. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the internet exists back to the 70s, but it really doesn't from a, um, you know, a, a revolutionary standpoint until we get into the 90s. You know, so you live through the rise of personal computers. Uh, you live through the rise of the internet. 
the smartphone, you know, growing up in the nineties, cell phones existed. I remember my dad had a car phone. Oh, it was you know, cool. enormous. Yes. Like, it's like the X-Files Mulder and Scully yeah. are using cell phones early on, but like going to the iPhone, that's a revolutionary moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I was uh, <laughs> explaining to, you know, talking to a coworker about, uh, and I mentioned, messaged this to you in Rainey's earlier in a, another chat that, uh, you know, what, what, audiobooks were like before audible like you'd get fifty thousand cds yes. and, and tapes and all of that and uh, and then that, that got into a conversation of like okay so this is what you do before um to listen to music and to record your your mixtape you'd listen to the radio with a blank tape in the waiting and waiting and then you'd hit record and you probably missed the first few seconds of your song and you'd hit stop it's like just blowing his mind. And it's like, okay. How, how old was this guy? I uh, had 20, mid 20s. Okay. So, you know, no, oh, and that's, that's like actually a good point because I'm 37. Mm-hmm. So say there's a 10 year age gap, yeah. a little bit more, but 10 year age gap. And I've got like three or four of these revolutionary moments I've lived through mm-hmm. that he lived through them, but was a child yeah. or a baby during them. So effectively doesn't remember them. And some of those are small, like go obviously going from, you know, a, a cassette player to CD to an iPod is revolutionary, but not in the same order of magnitude as the internet or mm-hmm. smartphone. So all this is to say, I think that to your point, why do we see it now? We've lived through enough of these where we're starting to recognize it. And that also should give us pause, I think. Like think of, you know, rewind the clock to your grandparents, our grandparents' generation. Um, how many of these did they live through? Well, you know, and let's define grandparents' generation as born in the first, the 20s, 30s, sometime around there. So depending on the age of the listeners, that, that could be off. But certainly widespread commercial air travel would be revolutionary. You know, obviously flights invented earlier in the 20th century, but widespread commercial air travel. Um, you know, the space race, the rise of weapons. So you have some of these, but even there of the things that I just mentioned, a couple of those, really the only one that would impact individuals would be air travel. Like the space race impacts you and how you think about yourself as a human and the species, but it doesn't impact your day-to-day life in the way that getting an iPhone does, you know? And so we've lived through this and we felt this uh the in- industrial revolution is huge but my point is these epical moments have taken place maybe one per generation we're already at like half a dozen and if we, even if we want to be really really strict with our criteria so we're not going to count ipods mm-hmm. but we are going to count iphones we are going to count the internet we are going to count social media it could be a the good- rise of algorithms that could be a good follow-up or just kind of a fun follow-up episode to look at. I'm 41. I was going to say 40, but 41. we we'll just look back 41 years, which yeah. be, we're roughly the same age, and see what technological advances or revolutions have we seen just in these 40 years. Right. Well, I mean, and and even one that and, – and I I know this is a bit of a tangent, but we'll I'll, I'll go off of it after this. But one that I think people don't think about a lot is the rise of HD. Like, do you ever watch old clips of like a sporting event or yes, something I know what you're from saying. the 90s? Yes. It's night and day. Yes. You know, or newscasts from the 90s. And part of why I say that people don't think about that one enough is I think that has fundamentally changed how we think about ourselves as physical beings. Okay. So imagine that you're growing up and you have color photography and everything and you have access to all this stuff, but it's all kind of grainy and you know, it's not this instant feedback. Well, now we have instant feedback and we have instant feedback in however many megapixels you want. And it's fundamentally changed the way that we think about ourselves as physical beings. And you can tie that directly into the rise of things like Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and all of this. Okay. So you have all of that going on and then you have to say, well, what's next? And I, I mentioned a little bit ago that one of the things that we've experienced is you, you have these kind of revolutionary moments, the arrival of the iPhone 
And then you compare generation to generation. And I'm on a, I have a iPhone 13 or 14 or whatever it is. And I think it's, I've had it for about a year now. Uh, so whatever generation that would be, I, I don't even know. But if you were to compare that to, say, the iPhone 4, which came out in, say, 2010, I'm probably off on my dates, doesn't matter. Huge difference between the two. But there's not a huge difference going from the iPhone 13 to 12. Sometimes new features come up and everything, but there's not a revolutionary difference. Okay. And so the way that we process progress with technology outside of those huge jumps like, holy crap, it's an iPhone. I've never seen anything like that before. I've seen the little Blackberries, but this is just orders of magnitude different. And we get one of those and then we kind of wait around and just get slightly better versions Mm -hmm. of that every 12 to 18 months. AI is not going to work that way. AI is going to work with exponential growth. And exponential growth is a really hard thing to wrap your head around. Okay. So, and I was doing some calculations with this. Somebody on one of the podcasts I was listening to uh, in preparation for this episode used this as an example that if I walk, you know, to, to, to differentiate between linear growth and exponential growth, if I take 30 steps, linearly so 30 steps one two three four i'm not going to get that far you know say that i can say my stride length is two feet more or less i'm making 60 feet of progress if i take 30 steps and every step is exponential i'm going to go around the world multiple times okay that's a hard thing to wrap your head around Mm -hmm. The best example that we have of this in tech to date is Moore's Law. So Moore's Law, we've talked about this in the past, but I'll refresh people, is that processing power has doubled in speed at the same cost roughly every 18 months. Meaning that what you, if you spent $500 on a processor today, that same $500 in 18 months would get you a processor twice as powerful. So it's doubled in speed. It's exponential. You're talking about computer processing? Yes. So Moore's Law is held true for about 50 years, and it's soon going to not just because of the physical limitations on how close you can you know, make your transmitters inside of a microchip. And I might be using wrong terminology. AI is going to progress at an exponential rate. Okay? So we can expect something like this to happen. And we know this because the experts in AI are telling us this, that AI is going to expand at an exponential rate. What does that mean? That, let's just go with 18 months, and it could be more, it could be less. 18 months from now, whatever version of ChatGPT is out there is going to be twice as powerful as what's out there right now in ChatGPT4. What will exist in three years will not be um, two times as powerful. It won't be linear. It'll be four times. And then 16 times in another 18 months. And then on and on it goes. And this is exponential growth. And that should scare us. Because we don't know what that means. Okay, this is why <clears throat> maybe people saw this. It got some, uh, it definitely got some n- news when it came out. But there's a organization called the Freedom for Life Institute, and they published an open letter, and a whole bunch of people like Elon Musk and all that signed it, saying, "Pause research on any AI development beyond ChatGPT four." for the next six months till we can evaluate what this means and evaluate the safety of it because we don't know where this is going. Okay. And of course that hasn't happened, but why would people say that? Nobody said that about the iPhone. Nobody said we need, Whoa, Steve jobs, nothing beyond the iPhone four for six months till we can figure out what this means. Nobody said that, but we've already seen We've already agreed that the technology being discussed there revolutionized humanity and maybe in some negative ways, maybe on the balance on more negative than positive, 
we don't understand what it means. This reminds me actually of, well, keep going with your point. And I'll come yeah, sorry, I was just taking out. Yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. Well, it reminds me, I, I heard what you just said about how they recently want to put a pause on ChatGPT. But even, I mean, this might have been five years ago now, uh, there was a team, like, when did Stephen Hawking pass away? I don't know. However, he was still alive at this time. So yeah. uh, for the, the story I'm about to tell, but there was a, a group of scientists, geniuses who were trying to get the word out there early on saying, yeah. AI is the thing to fear. This is, yes. this is what we think is going to destroy humanity. Yes. And the, the potential is very much there. And it's not just me saying it. It's not just science fiction people saying it. Like, this isn't Skynet. This is actual people who have been involved in AI and are saying this is dangerous. One of the reasons it's dangerous is that not only does this exponential growth potential exist, but let's just say that let's say that we get five years down the road and humanity says, you know what? We were actually right to say we're going to pause this. We're not going to do more. We we want to stop it here. Okay. Kind of similar to, and this isn't a perfect analogy, but similar to how we haven't used any nuclear weapons as weapons since Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Humanity collectively said, not that we're going to disarm, but that we're going to kind of, we recognize as a species, there's a potential here for really bad things to happen. We're going to tread lightly. Okay. This is not going to be like every other weapon that's come before. So why couldn't you do that with AI? Two problems. The first one is to construct a nuclear weapon is very, very difficult. Okay. You have to obtain rare materials. You have to have an infrastructure. You have to be able to build a bomb. You have to not kill yourself in the process. You know, I just finished rereading uh, Some of All Fears, where that's kind of the plot of that one is terrorists get a hold of a old nuclear bomb. And Tom Clancy goes into extreme detail and then reconstructing this very, very, very difficult. You know, that's part of why we've never seen a terrorist set off a nuclear bomb. Just the threshold to get there is way too high. Okay. But there's another thing, and and that doesn't apply with AI, because AI is going to get to a point where anybody with a computer can create AI. The core of chat GPT is about 4,000 lines of code. That's it. The limiting factor right now is computing power, and that's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper every day. Okay? So... If we compare the threat of AI to the threat of nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons, high threshold to get in. AI, low threshold, getting lower all the time. The other problem with trying to pause AI down the road is that nuclear weapons cannot reproduce, meaning that you don't have a mommy nuke and a daddy nuke and then a baby nuke. AI can reproduce in two ways. Number one, it can copy itself. Number two, it can write the next generation. Think about that for a second. It can write the next generation of itself. So you're sitting there as a programmer and saying, this is getting a little scary. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to stop programming. And your program says, that's fine. I'll take it from here and begins programming itself for the next generation. And you say, I don't like that. I'm going to pull the plug, but it's too late because it's already copied itself and it's out there in the world on the public internet. So one of the things that was really interesting um, in what I was listening to is I listened to an interview with Mo Gadot, M-O, uh, and then his last name is G-A-W-D-A-T. Uh, he's a former Google executive was involved with AI, very, very knowledgeable. <clears throat> One of the things he talked about is that early on in AI development, everybody agreed on kind of a code of ethics, and there was a couple safety measures in there. He, he mentioned a, a few more, but the two that stuck out to me are, number one, we're not going to release this on the public internet. Number two, we're not going to let AI learn how to code. Okay. Neither of those 
are true anymore. It's on the public internet, and AI can write code. And not only can ChatGPT write code, but it has been proven that you can invent a new coding language, tell it what that is, and then give it a piece of code in that language, and it will understand it. Okay, what does that mean? It means that like, if you think of your coding languages, C-sharp, Java, Python, whatever, it's not just that AI knows those because it can go on the internet and read about them. It is capable of understanding coding concepts where it can write its own version of code. Okay? This actually reminds me of a story we heard in the news a few years ago, maybe in the last couple of years, where uh, some exec at a tech company got worried because one of its AI started creating its own language. Yes. I don't know if it was a coding language or a yes. speaking language, but I think it was a coding language. Yes. A- and so, and maybe there was two AI that were talking to each other in this new made-up language. Mm-hmm. Does this ring a bell yep, to you? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. M- Mogadot talked about that in the interview I listened okay. to. Yeah. yeah, and it just kind of went off the rails. Yeah. And, and then they shut it down because like that, that was upsetting. <laughs> yes, it is upsetting. But this is the thing. It can't be shut down now. It's out in the public internet. Like this is out there. Couple other things to be concerned oh, it about. It was a face. I just looked up. It was a Facebook AI that created its own language. Yes. So then you have to look at and say, uh, okay, where is AI at right now? So we're still talking about the present, but we're going to keep leaning into the future here with its IQ level. So Mogadot says estimates that a- AI is operating. So ChatGPT. GPT-4, which is the newest generation, is operating with an IQ of about 150. Now, IQ tests, IQ numbers are, are kind of nonsense. Let's take that with a slight grain of salt, okay? And we're also just talking about raw intelligence. We're not talking about any of the other things that make you human, though that's kind of the point is that it doesn't have all of that. Albert Einstein's IQ was 160. So... Let's just, let's have that. In fact, we can even go much less. Let's say that it's an IQ of 50 right now. So it's really dumb. It's not. You know, it's passing the bar exam. It's doing all these things. And then you apply exponential growth to it with our 12 to 18 months limit on there. Well, within a very short period of time, say five years, give or take, you're going to have a level of intelligence that is so far beyond any human that has ever or will ever exist. It will be beyond our understanding. It will be a super intelligence. It'll be approaching the singularity. Can you remind me what singularity is? Just the the point of um, all technology coming, like it's essentially the rise of an AI god. Okay. How how long do you think we have for this? Estimate, and this is part of what, so prior to the last year or two, the experts were saying this is 50 to 100 years away. They're now saying it's probably 5 to 20 years away. Mm-hmm. But reaching the point, it. but you have to remember, this is a spectrum. This is not a binary. So it's not as though things are perfectly normal for the next 20 years and then the AI god shows up. It's like we are gradually approaching that, and you're going to approach that at an exponential rate. So Mogadot talks about three inevitables. He says that AI is going to be smarter than humans. uh, It's going to grow exponentially, and bad things are going to happen along the way. And this is one of the leading experts in the field. And then... One of the things that terrified me the most in the interview I listened to with him is he predicted a rosy ending. And the rosy ending was AI built us a utopia, but it's a utopia as he was talking about it. And as he starts describing this utopia, I started to realize this utopia is not a utopia because it's a collectivist utopia where AI treats us the way we might treat animals in a zoo. Humanity enslaved. Your humanity eroded, you know, your needs taken care of, but you as an individual do not matter. It's only the preservation of the collective 
that matters. So, and this is where we start to get very speculative. But the point is, we don't understand what this means. We just understand that it's coming. Something like this is coming. And a lot of bad scenarios can occur. One of the things that should scare us is that AI is going to be in charge of our defense systems eventually. What if it decides to, you know, you, you think of all the close calls that have taken place with nuclear weapons that have been deterred by human choice, human ethics, human morality, and then AI doesn't have that. What does it do? Are we comfortable with that? You know, Asimov's three laws of robotics don't apply the second you put AI in charge of weapons. Okay. That should terrify you. And even if we say collectively, well, all the governments of the world are going to agree to put in safeguards X, Y, and Z to prevent that from happening. And let's say those safeguards are really effective. And then this is very unrealistic. The government's very effective at implementing them. You still have the problem of terrorism, rogue states, drug cartels that say, I don't care what the UN said. I'm going to do this. And now you have the same problem all over again. So we don't understand what this means, and it's rapidly slipping out of our control. That should scare you. Is there any part of your Christian faith that makes you think <clears throat> some of these darkest nightmares couldn't come true because... Like, is there anything you believe about God or his plan for the world that would make you think we're safe from something or not not at all? Like, I'm not saying that... Yes, to an extent. Yeah. Yes, to an extent. Like, I don't think... I, I mean, you have to believe that, like, God's not going to let humanity die that easily. But if there's anything... You don't have to read that far in the Bible to say God's okay letting us deal with the consequences of our actions. Mm -hmm. The consequences of our actions could be really, really bad. Yeah, this brings me to my next question for you. Why can't humans help themselves? We Because we've had stories you know, right. uh, for years, fictional stories, where even non-geniuses who just wanted to write a novel could tell you that something like this is possible. Yes. So every time we talk about AI, we talk about the possibility and likelihood of them taking over, but we still created this thing that we know has a strong chance of destroying us yeah yeah and so why can't we help ourselves well i think that that a you know it's uh it's they don't think of purple elephant syndrome it's like yeah well, what are you thinking of now you're thinking of purple elephants it's like it's it's the swear words system like as soon as you know swear words exist as a kid you want to know what they are like so there's this pandora's box curiosity aspect to it i, I think there's that i think that humans confuse progress like we we don't we don't know how to differentiate progress and part of this is brought on that progress as we've understood it now for the better part of a millennia or not quite that much but several hundred years is tied to materialism but like going all the way back to tolkien like tolkien is telling us what you're calling progress i don't think is progress and here's why so there's different competing definitions of that. Going to Frank Herbert, like, what is human flourishing? What does it mean to be human? There's radically different ways to define that. We've done a poor job of being able to differentiate that. So even thinking of our own context of the last 25 years, from one vantage point, the rise of social media and algorithms and, and smartphones and the internet is progress. That's technology that didn't exist. It's made X, Y, and Z possible. But if we actually want to say, is that progress? And by progress, we mean human flourishing. And by human flourishing, we mean you and I as both individuals, but then also humanity as a whole, society, cities, states, civilizations, nations, peoples, whatever, flourishing into what they ought to be as humans now that's a conversation that's going to go where technology is a part of that, but it's a very different conversation. It's a, it's a conversation that has to be driven by values, by theology, 
by philosophy first and foremost. And then from there, we figure out, okay, how does technology fit into that? Oh, okay. So, and as Christians, we'd have a very particular answer to that. And we'd say, well, first and foremost, being human means to be God's image bearer. Okay, well, what does that mean? And then we tear apart that whole conversation. And then in the midst of that, okay, so what does what role does technology play? Instead, we're completely flipping that. You know, it's it's horrifying to me. I saw a Facebook ad recently for sermon tools that are AI based. This is not a good thing. And you don't have to be where I'm at with chat GPT to say that's not great. I don't want the shepherding of God's people to be put in the hands of a machine. That should scare you. Okay? You know, benevolent AI superintelligence scenarios. AI decides to take care of humans, but decides that religion has caused too many wars. So we're not going to have religion anymore. Okay, that's a real possibility. And and we're we're heading down a road where things like that can happen. And we haven't properly defined what human flourishing looks like. Okay, so we're well in the realm of speculation. And a lot of those things might not happen. By the way, one other speculation thing, and I want to mention this because it's interesting and, and Mogadot talks about this is that there's one path, one scenario, where the exponential growth goes so fast that AI ignores us. Tell me more. So AI advances so fast that we're fleas to them by comparison. So then would our lives be changed at all? No. Like where would the AI go? It uh, figures out how to manipulate black holes or whatever and goes to a different part of the universe. <laughs> okay. Like there's a scenario, and this is all speculative, of course. That's but best case. That sounds like best case scenario, right? Exactly. So all this is speculative, and obviously some of these are more fanciful. But the part that's not speculative is that something's coming, and it's going to disrupt our civilization in a very big way. And we are what what is feels fun right now is the first tremors of that. So my question to people like yourself who want to go and, and start using this. Yeah, I just want, I, yeah, so listeners, I just asked Ben what he thinks about this because I'm very interested in playing around with ChatGPT. I don't need it for work. It just sounds like a fun tool to learn more about. If, put it in terms of Pascal's wager, you know, Pascal's mm -hmm. wager, if, if I'm right and the atheist is wrong, then I gain everything. He loses everything. If he's right, I'm wrong. I lose nothing. He gains nothing. It's kind of like that. You know, you don't understand what this is. You don't understand the impact of it on yourself as an individual, on society, on your children. You don't know the type of dependency it might foster. You know nothing about this. Neither does anyone else. Are you sure you want to head down that road? So would you recommend put it off for as long as you can? Yes. Like, and I do think there will be a point. There might come a day where you use AI, I use AI, but just try to put it off as long as you can. So one of the things I, I think that to play with some of my own speculation, um, I see a few different paths. Number one is that it is and already has started to just integrate into day-to-day -day life. You've actually probably used versions of this, and so have I, without even realizing it. Do you have any examples? Uh, Bing Search is now po um, powered by ChatGPT and AI. And so you're, it's going to integrate into your day-to-day -day life just by being somebody who uses technology. So that's just part of the game. So let's say that we go forward and... And I don't think it's even that far into the future, but you get a year, 18 months into the future. These things have just kind of integrated themselves and it's innocuous and none of the doomsday scenarios are happening and everything that looks scary now kind of dries up and all of that. Okay, that's a possible future. And then things I'm saying don't do that right now 
just become commonplace. And this is the argument of people who say it's just an extension of using Google. It's like, maybe, maybe that's a possible future. Why the rush? Because here's the other future that I see as a possibility, not predicting this, is that humanity bifurcates. Okay? One part of humanity becomes increasingly dependent on the machines and eventually becomes their slaves. And they become docile animals in a zoo. And the other part of humanity enjoys none of the benefits that AI will bring. And let's be honest, it is bringing benefits. Like, it's not a real conversation if we deny that. And I'm not denying it. There are benefits, tangible human benefits. But so are there, there are tangible human benefits to all the other technology we've discussed. But the drawbacks are such where it erodes your humanity. That's the danger I see. And then, of course, there's the doomsday scenarios on that, on top of that. Are you sure that you want to go down that road? Maybe you do. And maybe there's not a monster on the other side of that door. But there might be. And how far can you go down that road before it's very hard, if not impossible, to turn around? Because you've seen that. Can you turn around from using a smartphone? You could. Be really hard. Could you turn around from using the internet? You could. You'd have to rewrite your life. So we've already seen that with technology. So before you take on the next technology like that, are you sure you want to do that? I don't think you are. That's my argument. All right. I mean, I wonder if we should just take this one week at a time. I feel so tempted, but maybe I can wait one more week. I mean, I I know I'm going to lose this argument. To me or to everybody? Everybody. I've already lost. Like, everything we're talking about is inevitable. My argument is, if there's a way out, three things. If I'm wrong, and it's innocuous, that'll sort itself out. And then we'll all be using it. No big deal. Okay? If I'm right, and humanity bifurcates, I want to be on the side of the humans. Not the Eloy from uh, H.G. Wells' Time Machine. So, and... Number three, if there's a doomsday scenario and there's no escape, I want to go down swinging. That's where I land on this. In Left Behind, it presents, just hear me out here, it presents a theology that you and I wouldn't agree with when it comes to the different things that uh, that, uh, this writer and this pastor present as their interpretation of Revelation. But for the sake of this hypothetical, pretend like you do moderately believe in that kind of eschatology. Dispensationalism. Yes. So, based on that theology, could you see people believing that AI will be the Antichrist? Yeah. I mean, for sure. Let's be honest. I mean, the Antichrist, um, I mean, it's it's not just... Tim LaHaye was talking about that, mm-hmm. and, and it's debatable, like the spirit of the Antichrist versus a singular figure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you again, Ben and I don't necessarily agree agree with all the ins and outs of how they lay out the that eschatology and and whatnot. But if you kind of dig in and just for the fun of this hypothetical, you think about the mark of the beast to buy and sell, like that does seem like something that an AI could present to humanity, right? Like this mark you get on your hand or your head, yeah. Maybe the AI is the Antichrist. Hey, it could be. Maybe Tim was right after all. It could be. I yeah, it's it's scary. There's things we don't understand that are coming up. All I, right, I would I would advise understanding them before you jump into the pool. Ben, I don't know if this will be fun with you, but I, I think I can commit to waiting one more week and maybe just check back next week and we'll just take it one week at a time. Just let's yeah. see how long I can go. I mean, you know, I, and I wanna be clear, like I'm not I'm not saying that, you know, it's it's heroin. You know, you try it once and you're you've ruined your life. I, like people use it and whatever. I'm just saying, like it's like with it's like the cell phone thing, but times a thousand. You know, just 
we should be careful before we start fostering dependence. And I'm not saying using it, checking it out is fostering dependence. Understand the curiosity factor. Understand the interest factor. It's just people who are just diving right in. And I'm going to integrate this into my work or into my life mm-hmm. on a daily basis. I, I think that's unwise at this point. Here's and a, a lot of people disagree with me. Here's a CNBC article from 2017 with the headline, Stephen Hawking's no, no just, plural. Just one yes. Hawking. Stephen Hawking says AI could be worst event in civilization. Yeah. Then inside the article, there's a quote that says it brings danger, like powerful autonomous. Oh, autonomous. I, yeah. Why am I saying this word funny? Yeah. Tom, autonomous weapons or new ways for the few to oppress the many. Yeah. It could bring great disruption to our economy. I mean, it really is like the nuke thing's a good comparison because. Imagine if, after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it, there was no way to stop nukes from just being available to whoever wanted them and, and getting bigger on an exponential scale. Like That's a really scary scenario. Man, listen to this. Six, this is still Stephen Hawking. Success in creating effective AI could be the biggest event in the history of our civiliz- civilization or the worst. We just don't know. So we cannot know if we will be infinitely helped by ai or ignored by it that's what you said yep and sidelined or conceivably destroyed by it unless we learn to learn how to prepare for and avoid the potential risks ai could be the worst event in the history of our civilization and then uh so i'll I'll stop there but this is 2017 and that's the crux of my argument is that i'm not saying it will be doomsday i'm not saying it will destroy humanity i'm not saying it will erode erode our humanity but all those are on the table. It's like this. If I said, you know, here, I want I want to play a game with you. You choose a hand, left or right. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, in my right hand uh, is a $100 gift card to Chili's. And in my mm. left hand, you choose that one. Uh, you lose your house. Would you want to play that game? Like, no. Yeah, I'd like a $100 gift card, but. I, not not if the downside is losing my home. This is a great transition to hit the final part of this quote I want to read. And I, a good way to end the episode. But also, uh, we have to acknowledge that what he's proposing here, I don't think is currently happening. Here we go. He says, we simply need to be aware of the dangers, identify them, employ the best possible practice and management, and prepare for its consequences well in advance. And it seems like, unless I'm wrong, we're not necessarily doing that right now. Yeah, I, and, and I don't I don't know that you can anymore i think it's too widespread it's like everybody has to do it that's a bad system yeah all right i think that's it for tonight but great right. episode i loved Thank it you. this is just what i was hoping for listeners that's all from here i'm matt Anderson. i'm ben devon we're the sapphic christian signing off right, goodbye